0: Sometimes we get the sense that while the Trinity is non-negotiable, it's also non-intelligible. Hey, Cross United, I'm so glad you've joined us for this online message. We're going to be in John 10.30. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 10.30, or if you're using an app, tap on over to John 10.30. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, although I was I was actually born into a non-Christian home. My parents met Jesus when I was two, and they raised me to know Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus. They raised me in the local church where I was trained and taught by faithful men and women uh, in a variety of local churches throughout uh, my childhood as we, we moved different parts of the state. Uh, but for the most part, in, in one local church that uh, was a faithful church that still... Um, means a whole lot to me today. Is actually a partner with us in the ministry of our our church planting here as, as Cross United Church, um, and 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 in the church you're taught about the things of God and the Scripture. You're taught the books of the Bible and the Ten Commandments and the the Lord's Prayer, and you're taught key biblical doctrines. And one of those biblical doctrines that I was taught as a as a kid and and growing up, and then was was taught you know as i moved out of of school age and and still in the church was the doctrine of the trinity and if you've been in the church for any length of time you probably have have heard something about the trinity um and and you probably believe something like god is one god in three persons or you've been taught about that maybe someone's used some kind of an analogy that uh, is like a, like the trinity is like an egg, a shell, a white, or a yolk, or a three-leaf clover, or water is a solid and a liquid and a gas. Um, and and I, I, sometimes I heard some of those analogies, and and nobody ever really tried to say that those things were really like the trinity because they're not really like the trinity. And and so and so I think sometimes we get this sense in in the church. That while the Trinity is non-negotiable and, and, it, and we know it's important, that it's also non-intelligible, that, 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 that while we can't deny it, that we have to believe it, we also can't really understand it and we shouldn't spend too much time trying to talk about it. That it's one of those mysteries of the faith that doesn't really influence our lives and our faith and our, our view of the world. All that much. Now, and I don't think anyone would ever say that, but I, I just kind of get a general sense that maybe that's how people tend to approach it because it is a doctrine that is shrouded in mystery and transcends our understanding. That said, I really think that it's hard to overstate, it's hard to really exaggerate how important the Trinity actually is. You know, when when I first started seminary, I took a class on the Trinity and and uh, we read, you know, hundreds of pages and multiple books and wrote papers and took tests and had, had hours of discussions. And, and at the end of that class, I'll never forget, the professor said, you know, we've probably barely scratched the surface of this important biblical teaching. And, and he was 100 percent right on that. He, that. that. It's it's you could spend a lifetime, and many theologians have spent a lifetime exploring the mystery of the Trinity. Now, if you've been around our church at all, you know that this is something we talk about quite a bit. Um, we talk about it a lot, not just because, you know, some pastors, they kind of have their, their favorite hobby horse they like to ride, and they kind of go come back to it over and over. And, and, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's that's what I like to do. I'm not immune to that by any stretch but but really the reason we talk about the Trinity so much it, there's two reasons. One is that we're going through the Gospel of John and in the Gospel of John, the Trinity is the main character. And the Trinity is the main character in the Gospel of John, just like the Trinity is the main and star character of the entire Bible. And so that's why we—that's really why we talk about the Trinity so much—is because the Trinity is the star character of the Bible that we teach and we study, and it's the—and and the Trinity is the main character of the specific book of the Bible that we're studying together in a really concentrated way. That John is a work of Trinitarian theology. Um, there's another reason we talk about the Trinity a lot. We talk about the Trinity a lot. Because the Trinity is at the heart of all reality. The Trinity is the most real thing, the most real being, the most real thing, entity, life in existence. The only eternal, true, singular thing or being or one God in three persons. So so we talk about the Trinity quite a bit because I don't think you can— I think it's impossible to talk about the Trinity too much. I also think if we're going to be faithful to the Book of the Bible and the passages of Scripture that are, you know, coming before us, you know, sequentially as we're going through John's Gospel chapter by chapter, verse by verse, section by section, um, we can't avoid it. We can't avoid it, as John, the Gospel of John, is all about the Trinity. It's all about how it can be that the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, can also be revealed and seen in the person of Jesus Christ. John was a, was a man who followed Jesus. He knew Jesus. He loved Jesus. He, he, he was, was a disciple when Jesus was on earth when he was very, very young, and then was a pastor and a preacher and a theologian and a writer for decades— after Jesus had ascended into heaven. And John was a man who knew his Bible. And John knew his Bible backwards and forwards. And uh, he knew that God was the main character of the Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament, John just called the Bible. For him, the Old Testament was just simply the Scripture. Uh, Because the New Testament hadn't been written and hadn't been distributed yet. And, and when John read his Bible, he saw in Genesis 1 that God created the heavens and the earth and that God has a name, and his name is, is Yahweh or Jehovah uh, in some older translations. There the, are the four Hebrew characters called the Tetragrammaton. And, and John knew that, that, that this God had revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush and revealed himself and his name as I am who I am and in, in Exodus three fourteen and 15. And then in Exodus 34, after God has delivered his people, Israel, from Egypt, God reveals himself to Moses and says, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he knew that this one God was revealed through Moses proclaiming to the people of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. Hear, O Israel, the Lord Yahweh, our God, the Lord is one. There is nothing more clear in the entire Old Testament scripture than this, that God is one that God is one. There is only one God. This would have been a radical belief in that day and age, in the day and age of polytheism and many gods and, and you know, that, that there was a God for various regions of the earth and various facets of human life, that the Hebrew the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, believed that there was only one God, and he was the creator God and the covenant God, who created all things and entered into covenant with his people. John knew all this. John John was a was a man who knew his Bible really, really well. And he also knew that his best friend Jesus was God. And and he he wrote this narrative of the life of Jesus to give us a glimpse of how that can be the case. How can the Father and the Son and the Spirit all be God and yet there only be one God? And he gives us this opening um, explanation in, in the very beginning of his gospel in John 1, 1 through 3. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. So He says there in John one one: "In the beginning was the Word." He's he's echoing there the first line of the entire Bible: "In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth." And he's 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 bringing that back to mind. And He says, "In the beginning was the Word." But lest we think that God, um is only the Word, we see that the Word was with God. But then, lest we think that the Word was something other than God, or separate from God, or submitted to God, we see, and the Word was God. And he explains that, in the beginning, that is before the creation, He was already there. The Word was already there with God in the beginning in verse 2. doesn't say there that it was with God. The Word was not an it, but it says, and He, he the Word, He was with God. The Word, John tells us, is not a thing. The Word is a person. And unless we think that that, this word was something that God had created before creation itself in some sort of way that's hard for us to understand um, he explains that the God who created is the word himself in verse 3 he says all things were created through him and apart from him nothing was made that has been made Lest we think the Word being with God somehow means that the Word was created, John says, no, don't make that mistake. The Word is the Creator. The Word is on the Creator's side of the canyon of reality. The Word is not a creature. The Word is the Creator. And we see in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and lived among us or dwelt among us. He explains that the word is the glorious and only begotten Son from the Father. We observed his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the one and only Son, or only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then finally, in verse 17, this opening prologue, he reveals the name of the Word, the Son, as Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. And this, this prologue that John writes here, it opens up the way for John to begin to explain who God is, who God actually is, who the real God is. And a lot of people believe in God. The recent survey showed that Americans, if asked if they believe in God, 87%, 87% would say yes. Lots of people believe in God. Most people believe in God. Almost everyone you meet would probably say that they believe in God. But the question is do you believe in the real God, the God who actually exists? Not even just the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, has revealed his name, has revealed himself even more fully as God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as God the Trinity. Jesus tells us this over and over again through the Gospel of John. In John 5, he explains that, that, that he and the Father do the same identical work. Verse 17, John five seventeen says, Jesus says, My Father is still working, and I am working also. The Father and the Son have the same work. They also have the same will. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom He wants. They have the same work. They have the same will. And they also have the same life, the same being itself. For just as the Father has life in Himself, so also He has granted to the Son to have life in Himself. Now, this is totally different than how we live our lives. We don't have anything in our lives that can compare to this. So, like, on Christmas Eve, usually, is when uh, Laura, my wife, and I end up wrapping gifts for our kids. And we we can do the same thing that we can wrap gifts, we can wrap presents... But we can't do the exact same thing at the exact same time in the exact same way. We can work on different gifts at the same time. We can wrap the same gift in in different parts of the gift, doing different aspects of, you know, ra- you know, different parts of wrapping the paper around or you hold the paper while I tape. Um, we, we can do the same type of thing. I can watch her do something and then copy her, or she can watch me do something and, and do the same thing. We can do similar things. We can do things nearly the same time in nearly the same way. But we can't do the exact same thing at the exact same time because we're two different people. And, and, and so we don't really understand that when Jesus says, we don't have a category to understand that when the Father works, he works in exactly the same way and exactly the same time, doing exactly the same thing. Because unlike Laura and I, we are two persons with two distinct human natures, we have the same kind of human nature, but we're not the same human nature. We are a person and a, and a human being that are you know separate. We're different human beings. God is different because God is multiple persons, but only one nature. And this is where our verse—you thought I forgot, but I didn't—that we're in John 10.30. This is where our verse really helps us understand. Look at what he says in John 10, 30. We'll actually start in verse 25 to give some context. Um, so so the leaders have, have approached Jesus and say, if you're the Messiah, just tell us in verse 24. And here's how Jesus answers: I did tell you and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. But if you don't, but you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now here's here's our verse. I and the Father are one. Now we've already talked about this passage in a more general sense. And if you missed that, I think it was two weeks ago that we talked about this. You can look on our website, on YouTube, and check out that teaching on the bigger context of what Jesus is saying, where he, he's a, he's bringing to to these Jewish leaders who are approaching him the, the, the charge that the problem is not that they don't have enough information. The problem is that they can't hear him. They don't listen because they're not of his sheep. He explains... Here again, like he did in chapter five, that the the works of his he and his father are undivided and inseparable. The the Latin theologians used to say this that the opera ad extra indivisa sunt, that the the works of God in the world outside of the Trinity are inseparable. That is, the Father and the Son do exactly the same work and exactly the same time the same identical work the same identical will because the father and the son and the spirit have the same nature they are the same god in three persons it's not like the father does something and the son kind of goes oh that looks good let me do it like you no they do the same thing at the same time from the same will so so Jesus here is is confronting the goats and comforting the sheep with the, the assurance they have of their salvation if they are in, if they're in Christ. And the, 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 the way he says the last verse here really I think provides some help for us when we think about how to think about the belief that God is a Trinity. Because in the original Greek, which, which was originally how the, the John wrote this gospel down, in the original Greek, it literally could be translated, I and the Father, we are one thing. The verb, we, is a first-person plural. We are, Father and Son. And then the, the adjective, is one. We are one, but it's an it's a neuter, meaning it doesn't have uh it doesn't refer to a male or a female, it refers to something new neutral. And usually in, in Greek, when something is a neuter, you can provide the word things. Now enough with the grammar. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, lose you, you know, in in the weeds of the of the grammar. The point is this: the father is. We in terms of his persons, or excuse me, God is we in terms of his persons and one thing in terms of his nature. God is both we and one. God is both one and we. God is one in his divine nature. What is a nature? A nature is is what defines The characteristics or the attributes of something. So the nature of a tree. You know, you you look and you can see all over. You know, you can see different kinds of trees. There's palm trees. There's oak trees. There's olive trees. You know, there's there's uh, apple trees. There's lime trees. But but you know a tree when you see a tree, because a tree is 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 a plant that has some sort of central trunk. That roots itself into the ground And and from that grow these other smaller branches And leaves and sometimes fruit of some kind And even though a palm tree and an oak tree Look a lot different but They're both trees They both have the nature of a tree A horse has four legs and a tail and a mane A human has a body, a soul, a mind uh, Usually two arms, two legs, a mouth two eyes and nose and two ears and if one of those things is missing doesn't mean the person uh isn't a human anymore it just means that they there's something you know that's that's been they've been injured or something in some way but but their nature is such that their human nature means that in general this is what a human being is and you can see a horse a tree and a human and you know the difference the nature of a tree versus the nature of a horse versus the nature of a human are, are the defining characteristics of the thing. But for humans, we also say that someone is a human, but they're also a person. There's no such thing as a generic human being. I don't know if you ever watched that that old show Community where the the, the mascot for this community college was just the human being, this generic human being, just kind of this, this pasty blob uh, of a person trying to be unoffensive and ended up just being even more more offensive there's no such thing as sort of just a generic human being every human being every human nature is also a person so every distinct human person is also a distinct expression of the human of human nature but god is different god is different because god is Three persons with one identical nature, not three persons with three of the same type of nature, the same exact nature. God is one, his nature is divine. What is, if, if, A tree is a tree, and a horse is a horse, and a man or a woman is a man or a woman. What is the nature of God? Well, the Old Testament and and the New Testament both clearly explain that the divine nature is is all of the attributes that we we see God described with in in the Scripture. Perfect life, eternity, power, wisdom, all of the things, omnipotence, omnipresence, Omniscience, all knowing, all powerful, all present, invisible, eternal, all all of these things. You could just go on and on about the attributes of the one being of God. The Old Testament clearly shows the oneness of God, the singularity of God, that God, there is only one God. It could only have been this way because. Because if God, if there was more than one God, then how would you know if that God was good? If that God was perfect, there would have to be some higher standard that you were comparing God to. But, but Psalm 16:2, for example, David's praying to the Lord. He says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. Only a God who is one can be a God who is good. God is simply, eternally, self-sufficiently life and love. He is one being, one nature, one God. But God is also we. The Father and I, we are one. This is what we see about the divine persons. He is one in his nature, and he is three in terms of persons or relations. Long ago, Augustine explained this verse, and he says he, he does not say, I am the Father, or I am the Father is one, but when he said, I and the Father are one, hear both one thing and we are, and you will be free of both charybdis and scylla. That was a Greek way of describing a danger on one side and a danger on the other. This is from Greek mythology. In these two words, the word one thing frees you from the Arian, and the word we are frees you from the Sibelian. If one thing, then not different. If we are, then both the Father and the Son. Here we see that Jesus protects us from two wrong ways of thinking about who God is, the Sibelian and the Arian errors of the Trinity. The Sibelian error, sometimes we, we can call that modalism, taught... That God is one being in one person, and that one person sometimes manifests or reveals Himself as Father, sometimes as Son, sometimes as the Holy Spirit. That that He is one being only, manifest or or sort of um, play acting as different persons, and and there there was more uh, nuances to it than that, but that's basically the idea that there was only. One person, and any any distinction in God was only temporary or only an illusion. But that's clearly not in line with the Scripture, where the Father and the Son clearly are persons in relation. But on the, on the, on the other side, a guy named Arius um, wanted to safeguard the priority and the glory of the Father, and so he said the Son was a different person—okay, good— But then he made a mistake by saying, with a created nature, so that the Son was somehow less than the Father, even if it was just a tiny bit less, even if it was just a a second after the Father, you know, even if it was just like, like, he's still greater than anything we can imagine, but he's a little less than the Father, that doesn't align with the Scripture either, because Jesus says, I and the Father, we are one. We are truly distinct persons with one divine nature. The Bible points us to the truth of the Trinity, and it pulls back the curtain on this beautiful mystery and gives us a glimpse of the way God can be both one and three. And and the way theologians have explained this over the years is something called the eternal relations of origin. That is, it's not just random that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are God. They are related to each other in specific ways. The Father eternally begets or generates the Son, and the Father and the Son, eternally as one, breathe out simultaneously the Spirit. Now, you can't think about this as if it's sequential, like the Father, then the Son, then the Spirit. This is an eternal, divine reality. Again, this is where the mystery comes in. Because for us— To give birth or to beget happens over a period of time, and it involves two people. But with God, things are different. With God, things are different. God, the Father, begets the Son eternally, and the Father and the Son breathe out or spirate the Spirit eternally. The Father gives, the Son receives, and the Spirit is the bond of gift between them. The Father loves, the Son is beloved, and the Spirit is the bond of love between them. The Bible shows us this all over the place. Psalm 2, 7. You are my Son, today I have begotten you. The Bible describes the Son as the only begotten of the Father. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, John 14:26. The Counselor, whom the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. One of the key things we see in the Gospel of John is that when the Father sends the Son and the Father and the Son send the Spirit, that reveals to us the eternal mystery of the Trinity, that the Father sends the Son because the Son's Father has begotten the Son, that the Father and the Son send the Spirit because the Father and the Son have eternally spirated or breathed out the Spirit, an eternal triunity that existed, has always, will always exist exist. In the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we talk about this a lot, and maybe some of this uh, is new for you. Maybe some of this, we've talked about this before, and you're kind of like, okay, I feel like I've heard this before. And maybe you're asking the question, why does this matter? Why does this matter? Well, I think that matters for two reasons. The first reason, because we want to live in reality, we want to live in reality. The only real God is the God who is the triune God. There is no other God. You can p- turn your quarter over and say, in God we trust. And if your God is not the triune God, you are, you are trusting, you are serving a God who does not exist. The only real God is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It matters because we want to live in reality, and the Trinity is more real than anything we can imagine. The Trinity is more real than the, the person you love most in the world. The, the Trinity is more real than that. the house that you live in. The Trinity is more real than, than, than anything in your life that you may be trusting in, and that leads to the, the second reason this matters. Only the triune God is real. And secondly, only the triune God can give you life. Only the triune God can save you. Only the triune God can hold you safe in his hand. Only the triune God is someone you can trust. Only the triune God will will keep you in the storms. Only the triune God gives you hope. So I want to just encourage you to lean in to the God who is there. You may say, "Well, okay, now I get it. I, I I hear this. What you're saying, I and the Father, we are one. That's like good. I kind of understand that. And okay, I kind of get that it's important. Well, what do I do with this? Here's how you do. Here's what you do with it. You recognize in your life the work of all three persons of the Trinity." I often will consciously pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, and recognize that all three persons of the Trinity are at work in your heart and in your life. All three persons of the Trinity are at work in the creation of the world and the redemption of the people God is going to save and the redemption of the the earth and 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 the created order itself. That the Father sent the Son to become a human being, to, to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death on the cross, to be buried and raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit, so that he could then send the Spirit and bring the Spirit into our hearts so the Spirit would would, when we hear the story of Jesus... God the Son in human, in human nature and human flesh and His life, death, and resurrection, we would hear it and we would believe it and we would turn from our sins and we would trust in Him and we would be forgiven our sin and given eternal life. The triune God is real and the triune God is worth trusting.